This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of the Upper West Side of New York City, uh, and from the crap part of Long Island, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Roger. Are we back like Paul Pogba. He's a footballer again, Dave, out crazy days. We've still got a week until we play any games, Rod. Crazy world. It is a oh, just a world of chaos and opportunity and darkness and wonder. How are you holding up watching it all unfurl? I, I will say I feel more positive this week than I did the last. How are you processing what's going on across our nation? I mean, I think like a lot of Americans, um, a lot of uh, permanent residents, Rog, of which is, you know, my uh, my core, uh, I think I'm still just shaken by the entire thing. And, you know, COVID, the events after the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis and, you know, the upheaval and, you know, the tremendous opportunity that's come from that upheaval, I think, for a, a national conversation and 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 positive change. But I'm still sort of shaken and stunned. I think, weirdly, you may be feeling more positive than I am. Yeah, I mean, I talked yesterday on the pod about how this weekend scenes of unified protest across the nation. I mean, really, really in in, in massive urban centres, but also across Pennsylvania in the tiniest of towns, filling me with an emotion that I haven't experienced in so long, haven't experienced at all yet in 2020. And it's so rare that when I had to self-diagnose and say, what are you experiencing at the moment? It took me a while to identify it and give it a name, Dave. It's like a rare bird. And that rare bird is hope. I do. I feel a real sense of hope at the moment of out of darkness cometh light. I mean, even our hero, Tan Nahisi Coates, said in an amazing interview with Vox, and I believe it when he says it, not when I just opine from my limited perspective, but when he says, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I see hope, I see progress right now, it sends my soul soaring. Yeah, I mean, look, certainly conversations that I'm having with my social group, and I think that to a great extent, you know, and, and people at Embassy Row and um, people I work with, people at Sony, is I'm really encouraged by the tenor of those conversations, the amount of listening that people are doing, and that they are embracing like extremely radical ideas or what would have been radical ideas a few months ago and now seem, you know, whether it's reparations or the, um, you know, looking at alternatives to policing, more than just police reform, just, you know, wholesale changes to the way we think about policing and the way we think about the justice system and the way we think about prisons. I think these are all really positive. I hope that at some point, this is my sort of one word of caution, but this might be why 54-year-old white men are not really going to be very relevant in the conversation. But I do hope that at some point, beyond all the emotions of the conversation, which are very important, and beyond everybody feeling like they've got to say, which is very important, that the smart experts on some of these issues are going to come to the fore. Of course, that completely, you know, takes away all of our justification for talking about football, Rog. But there is a, at a certain point, <laughs> at a certain point, we've got to have some people who, who believe in change, who believe in reform, 
but have actually studied some of these things for a long time. They haven't just seen a graphic on Instagram and have taken on a whole new view. And, you know, as I'm reminded, my, you know, I think I said this to you after my father passed, that what I was always impressed with by my dad is that his opinions were never taken from a newspaper or from news or from, you know, one conversation he had. It was taken from years and years and years of experience of, of, of working in the field and he worked all over the world and therefore had a very liberal view of the world because he sort of experienced, you know, living all over it and working all over it and trying to solve problems all over it. And I just hope that we get into some more functional conversations and more expert-driven conversations rather than conversations purely based on emotion. I think that's going to be important. Yeah, I mean, emotion and rational. I will say experience is great. One of the things that gives me such joy, though, is seeing, well, first of all, just the youth, the, the young faces in every single protest, just that empowerment, that moment of empowerment that has occurred across the nation. That's what gives me hope, inshallah. And it's also beyond thrilled me that football, beautiful football, has found a remarkable voice, a remarkable role to play in all of this. I mean, the Bundesliga was soaked in protest this weekend. You know, I'll say this, the notion of stick to sports, that awful, awful, oh, that jab in the eye to every human being, stick to sports. Yeah, well, nobody said it to Drew Brees. That is, that is dead now in this new world in which we live. The tectonic plates, I do, I feel them shifting underneath our feet. Please God for the good. And watching football this weekend, it made me so bloody proud. From the very first game where Perma champions elect Bayern Munich rolled onto the field wearing their red against racism warm-ups, then took to the field wearing Black Lives Matter armbands. No half measures, you know. They could have gone, say no to racism. They could have They could have done the, we are one nation, one two. They could have come out with some thing like that that you know gestures but means nothing but they didn't hold back black lives matter and from then on wow Dortmund Hertha Berlin all the players before kickoff in the center circle taking a knee with their entire coaching staffs ahead of the game remarkable sight you know the, the, the in some of the games the the officials the match officials also join them in that center circle taking a knee European clubs European human beings showing their empathy with a social change movement that started in America, but really transcends borders, transcends sport. And from then on, every game the same. In Austria, Wisconsin-born Red Bull Salzburg manager Jesse Marsh. I love that bloke. Just like we said, that is a great American manager. We were a Black Lives Matter armband on the sideline as his team cantered to a 6-0 win. But first question first, David swelling of political awareness in sport, in football, that is perhaps a reflection that it can be easier to recognise racism that begins outside of your own nation's borders rather than that which ferments within. Do you feel that there's a truth in that? Absolutely. I mean, I think, first of all, so that we don't appropriate this conversation for our code of football, for association football, I do think beyond just acknowledging America, I think we've got to acknowledge American football and the players of the NFL and Colin Kaepernick, who took the knee for the first time and lost his job over it, you know, lost his career and was widely derided. And within the NFL, 
there were a lot of players within the NFL who supported him when it was very, very difficult to support him. And I think that that has to be acknowledged now. And we owe a gratitude, debt of gratitude to all of those men. You know, the footage that moved me was the Danish Women's League, the Eredivision. There, no crowds, even there. And there is a, is a cross Europe. And I do find it fascinating because it raises a question. And we're partially beginning to see the answer. Is each European nation willing to do the hard work within its own borders? Because it is easier to recognize racism that, you know, you could point to America and say you're empathizing with that. But beyond the knee, beyond the, the symbolism, how will each European nation start to work hard within its own borders? You're seeing France move to ban police chokeholds yesterday. Belgium, cross Belgium, start to remove colonial statues from across Brussels. You've seen in Bristol, 17th century slave traders statue tugged down. Even Churchill's brutal racist colonial days, we'll call them what they are. They were brutal. They were racist. Starting to be reconsidered in England. I think it's very positive what's going on in Europe. I think these are conversations that also have to happen in Europe. And I don't think European countries or, you know, Australia, we talked about, you know, the issues they've had with their own indigenous people. There isn't a country in the world that pretty much doesn't deal with some kind of racism and need to ask themselves some questions. Um, I think police brutality is not, uh, is, is not, does not only exist in the United States, but it is, let's face it, far worse here when you look at the statistics of the number of um of the number of people killed by the police every single year then when you look at how disproportionately those uh the people killed or unarmed killed by the police are black it is just horrific and i think that is a that is a particularly serious problem in the united states i think when it comes to looking at their own our own history i think the part that britain played in the slave trade the part that France played in the slave trade, the part that Spain played in the slave trade, Portugal, I think there are a lot of serious questions. And I think that part of what I do find refreshing about all of this is for years, people have said to me, my friends have marveled at how much I know about American history because I studied American history in college and focused particularly on the peopling of America um, and the, you know, the first two centuries of American life, the 17th century and the 18th century. Um, and I've understood the problems with reconstruction and the building of the, you know, the police forces and the criminal justice system um, after reconstruction. I think it's very refreshing. My kids are suddenly asking me questions about American history and what happened. I think we're demanding answers about this. And I think that's a very, very, very good thing. In that light, all hail U.S. soccer for starting reportedly and belatedly to consider repealing its ban on players kneeling during the national anthem, which was enacted when Megan Rapinoe took a knee um, before a game, I believe, against Thailand. You know, I look at that motto, one nation, one team. And I think few brands' logos have ever been so sadly outrun by the present day. But football can lead, sports can lead, will lead. You know, I've just been so thrilled watching the magnificent Raheem Sterling noting yesterday in a brilliant appearance on the British heavyweight political show Newsnight. Um, He talked about how it can't just be taking the knee. It's got to be about giving people the chance they deserve. He said there are 500 players in the English top flight. A third are black. There's no representation of us in the hierarchy. There's no representation of us in the coaching staff. And he pointed to 
I mean, it's so true. We've talked about it, how Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard are seen as great young managerial prospects. But fellow English legends Ashley Cole and Sol Campbell can't be taken seriously as managers, no matter how hard they try. And they have the same level of coaching badges. They put in the same preparation. But there's no black managers in the Premier League. The last Chris Houghton was sacked by Brighton May 2019. That has to change, right, David? I mean, like Ashley Cole, obviously a player I know very well because he played, you know, for, for Chelsea for so long. Um, super smart, super intelligent, but widely hated during his playing days by opposing players and by nearly all fans as well. And I think there is, that's a question that we've got to, we've really got to get into. And I think actually an analysis of Ashley Cole, um, who really played beyond, I mean, definitely John Barnes, what John's, John Barnes experienced as a player at the beginning of his career, he's been very vocal about what he experienced as a player. It's something Ashley Cole, who played within the modern era, I think just the treatment of him, you know, in hindsight, I think we've got to go and take another analysis at that. And I think it's probably playing into why he's not got the coaching opportunities. He came up, he was just as big a part of that team as, um, as Frank Lampard, as John Terry, as Didier Drogba, as, as, as Petacek, and yet he doesn't have the opportunities. And it's hard to figure out, actually. Yeah, I mean, I wrote about this in uh, our newsletter this morning. I actually, over the weekend, rewatched a classic English documentary about a young 1970s pioneer, Laurie Cunningham. Amazing, amazing player, if anyone watched him. Just a winger, so creative, so fast, so brilliant. Became the first black player to represent England in the modern period. Actually, the first British player to play for Real Madrid, ultimately. Only the second ever uh, black player in Madrid. And to relive his early years, the bananas thrown onto the field from the crowd, just the monkey noises that greeted him whenever he took to the pitch. That the press writing about him, that he was lazy, that he didn't, you know, didn't have it in him, didn't have the bottle, didn't have the courage. And, you know, it was it was much more brazen and overt. But at the same time, watching it, you could say not that much has changed, you know, or ask yourself what really has changed and how fast has it changed and what needs to change. Now he was seen as locker room, tro- all of our preconceptions that we layer on black players in football because of our own stereotypes they have diminished since the 1970s when black players were so bloody rare it's incredible but there's still those attitudes Davo. they're still so incredibly prevalent until we see more black players go on to become managers in the premier league until we see black owners of premier league sides until we see you know major league officials, major football um, executives, until we see, you know, black faces and black voices in these positions, we haven't really done anything. And the achievement hasn't really been made. And that's something that requires everybody to ask some really difficult questions, everybody, and to start to figure out solutions towards them. And at that point, I think the, you know, believe me, I understand the power. Like I just was reading today that, you know, the U.S., military are looking at the renaming of Fort Bragg, Fort Lee, and Fort Hood, which are named after Confederate generals. And you read that and you just think, how on earth do we have like three army bases named after Confederate generals? It's just insane, but we've all just accepted it. We hear Fort Bragg, we hear Fort Lee, we get ravens from these places. Yeah. 
but we've just accepted it. It's so crazy. But at a certain point, once all of that work is done and once the statues are poured into the river and once we've got through our reorganization of history, we've got to think about what is the way forward and how do we change the culture of society where we are. So we're not just talking about black representation as part of teams or within companies. We're talking about who is owning companies, who's leading companies, who's leading leagues, who's owning teams and where so there just isn't that opportunity and wealth disparity anymore. I, you know, that is a world, Dave, I can't wait to live in. And, you know, one of the things that also gives me hope and the second thing that I realised watching German football this weekend, you know, if the Bundesliga can create a stream of powerful images of protests that are seen around the world, just wait until the Premier League returns and the NBA after it. Just think about what the NBA is going to be like completely unfettered in this remarkable world. The statements that will be made before tip-off, after every single emphatic dunk in victory, it is going to be, every single post-match interview, it is going to be remarkable. And then, my Lord, close your eyes and think, if the NFL, please God, is able to come back close on its heels in this stick-to-sports-is-dead era, we've got to brace ourselves for political, cultural moments which will which will just change the zeitgeist, Dave. The tectonic plates that are talked about that underlie our nation, they're going to be like sonic booms heard all around the world. I just admire your ability to continue to watch the Bundesliga. That's what I'm just marvelling at more than anything else. I genuinely only watch it for the sellies at this point and also for, for, the, for Jägermeister excuses. I, honestly, I would rather... I would rather like pin my scrotum to the wall with a stapler. Oh, I'd watch that in a heartbeat, mate. I'd watch that in a heartbeat. We'll get Ray Hudson to commentate on that. Oh, the stapler! He's got the stapler in his hands and it's shining like the light from a thousand stars. Oh, mate. You're right. The Premier League, the NBA, boxing, the NFL. Um, that's where sport is going to really... Um, make its voice heard. And yeah, I was blown away today, Rog. This is a sign of progress. I watched Undisputed on Fox Sports 1 this morning and I watched Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless was actually being reasonable and intelligent and progressive, Rog. And if we can get to Skip Bayless, if Skip Bayless can be moved, there's possibility for all things, Rob. What were they talking about? Were they talking about Schalke's big 1-1 draw with Union Berlin? No, they were talking about Roger Goodell and the NFL. Ah! What happened with Colin Kaepernick? Okay, <laughs> Rog, a big day tomorrow here at Men in Blazers as John Oliver joins you for a very special Wednesday podcast. John has been working like mad on last week tonight, trying to make sense of what is happening in the world. But tomorrow, he's going to take some time with you to discuss the fact that his Liverpool could be merely, at time of recording, 12 days away from capturing their first top-flight title in 30 years, Roger. I can't wait for that pod to drop and to hear how you get the asterisk in there again and again and again. Oh, I was just leaning into my mic to say asterisk. I, was gonna <laughs> I know it. I can feel it at every moment. Just what was you were so delighted that Liverpool women were relegated out of the Premier uh, Women's League. By the way, there was no asterisk on that, <laughs> yeah. funny enough. I thought maybe that it, that implied an asterisk on the men's win because the women were relegated. Really, they, they now finished mid-table. The only question I got for John is, the asterisk, there is one, and how big will it be? <laughs> <laughs> for now, can we get a toast, Roger? Oh, I want to raise my third first bud of the day. 
and mark the second anniversary of the untimely death of a remarkable bloke, Anthony Bourdain. Just the years passing have not diminished his brilliance at all. Quite the opposite. They appear to have burnished it. And if you haven't seen it, we posted his poetic capturing of the unique beauty of that great American institution, Waffle House, and it will it will make your heart sore. And men in blazers, we are amongst the legions who revere Bourdain. You know, watching his footage, J-Dub swears to me that in lockdown, you can just travel the world and transcend the confinement by watching No Reservations. The quality of his writing is peerless. As a craftsman, though, the delivery was really superhuman. I admire it so greatly. Yet when you click off an episode, it's the passion, the curiosity, the empathy, which are the takeaway qualities when you watch the work. I was chatting to producer J-Dubs yesterday, and he mourned just how much we miss Bourdain's voice in the here and now and started to think through what he would have made of the change we are all living. For now, I want to raise this Bud fam, Blood fam to living by Bourdain's creed as typified by his magical quote, and I love it. He said, I love having my teeth kicked in by a different perspective. Courage. Okay, Rog, we are now just nine days away from Premier League football returning into our loving arms. The league returns next Wednesday, June 17th. How are you feeling, though? I think we all know the answer to that one. I don't know the answer to that one. I think you could be, you, with Everton getting close to playing again, you could be depressed. I have no idea. When I do think about Everton coming back, I do think about that depression. And I've missed that depression so much, Dave. I really have. I cannot wait. You had Chalkerton to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's the same. They are like the dietetic chocolate of Everton Football Club. There was a GFOP, Scott Schubert, who wrote, can't wait for football to come back so that you guys can talk about Everton tying Aston Villa at Goodison Park or Chelsea adding yet another winger. That pretty well sums up my excitement levels. I am pissing my pants, as Rebecca Lowe would say. Premier League football is back in a mo. And it, its return is, we should say, astonishing. In some regard, it was just a month ago. It felt like there was so much acrimony as the pandemic wrought its worst on a confused England. The players and the owners felt like they were so far apart in terms of coming together. There were so many barriers, challenges, hurdles, most of which, you know, factions, uh, multi-perspective, which just seemed to be almost intractable. And now we are down to the final details like... What kind of crowd noise will be piped into broadcast? How will fans be incorporated symbolically on scoreboards, on cardboard cutouts, on sex dolls? GFOP at PJ Purdems tweeted, I love the crowd noise piped in. Charlie Methven from Sunderland Till I Die has done a great job with marketing and the sounds of this game. Finally, he's got the speakers upgraded, it seems. It's amazing, David. It really is amazing that the big issues are now like Liverpool's trophy ceremony is going to be a sad, socially distant, empty stadium affair like Red Bull Salzburg's after winning the Austrian Cup. It's happening. Yeah, this is when people who criticise the media for their coverage, let's just forget about the news media and let's just talk about the sports media. The headlines were almost like, football will not make return till 2048. It's all those kind of headlines. (laughs) And now, like... We can see it. Everything is going to come back. Everything's going to come back to normal. It's going to be a little weird. I don't think... Look, brace yourself. The Premier League is not going to be as good as you 
thought it was going to be with no crowds. It really won't. It never is. It's it never be, is. It's going to be a bit disappointing, everything. Your teams are going to be uh, probably not that good, but it's going to be at least something. It's some sport. It's going to be, it's going to be something to enjoy. It will be different. Uh, by the way, I am enjoying the debate about where will the forthcoming Merseyside derby take place, that game in which Liverpool could theoretically clinch their first title in 30 years at a totally empty Goodison Park, which has been pinpointed by police as a game that needs to be moved to a neutral venue for fear that Reds fans will congregate in uh, the streets around the stadium and contravene physical distancing rules. I think... You know, as they make this decision, if you ask me, I'd suggest that they play the game in a place that is proper football, like uh, Belarusia. But the real question, Davo, is, is this seamlessly the same season? Or is it something completely like a movie sequel, Premier League season 2019-20 part two? Like The Godfather part two, or probably a bit like Star Wars Phantom Menace. Now this is pod racing. Look, if you just want a um, justification for your asterisk, I'll say anything you want me to say, but yes, it's a completely different season. <laughs> well, that, season. There's a mate. It is, it is undeniably the 2019-2020 season. It is, it is just the reality of what they had to do to get football back. I'm delighted they do have football back. I think it was important to get it back. Unlike those quitters in France who quit on Ligue 1 and now are regretting it and thinking they're going to you know, come back and finish again. I think it's this season. It's just the only way to go and finish it. It's going to be a little weird. It's going to be a little different, but it, it is this season. Whatever happens, big news, Dave out. Chelsea Football Club making moves as the ratio of transfer rumours to transfers actually happening, which for the past three months has been at exactly 0.0%, starting to become realer and realer. We will soon be back at our ratio of 1 in 10, actually mildly true ratio to which we are accustomed. First up, Chelsea's Timo Werner, 57 million. How are you feeling about that? From under Liverpool's nose, you got yourself a fast, mobile, lethal young German striker who can fill in the toothless, all-on-Tammy striking options and give Olivier Giroud someone good to watch from the bench. I'm excited. When they played a friendly against Leipzig last year, I was blown away by how good he was. So I think it's an exciting signing. It's, you know, it's a different kind of player, just like Zayech is a different kind of player than we've had in a while. And I know uh, American fans are getting very nervous about what this does for um, Christian Pulisic in the, in the depth chart at Chelsea. Uh, very excitedly, people saw him wearing a number 10 shirt in training. Yes. Uh, and then realised that William was also wearing a number 10 shirt. He was just cold. <laughs> so he's wearing <laughs> It's amazing. He was I wearing mean, 10 amazing. shirts. Yeah. If you didn't see it, it was an intra-squad game at Stamford Bridge, which was magnificent. It was great to watch the Chelsea lads back on the Stamford Bridge turf. Manchester United players back, I think, the same day at Old Trafford for the same 11-on-11. And Christian was running around in the number 10 shirt, and it's pretty cryptic. Not unclear whether he's put a, you know, it's him like a dog urinating on it for when William S. off. You know, is, it, or is he the new Eden Hazard or is he the new Yossi Benayoun, David? We will, we will see. But what does it do for Christian? Because, you know, it's always hard. So unless you're a Chelsea fan where you actually care about the whole squad, we do look at the entire Chelsea experience through... The, uh, through the eyes of our Lord and Saviour. Look, I think that it's, this probably spells the end of Pedro and Willian. 
um, at Chelsea. I think there are going to be lots of opportunities for, for Christian to play. I think that the question for him coming back is this is an opportunity for him to play a lot of games in a short time and, you know, to become closer to being a Premier League star. Right now, he's a Premier League player. He's a legitimate Premier League player. He's a very good Premier League player. But I think what American fans want to see him do is, is really become a star. I think he's going to be surrounded by better players now, which would be really good. And I think Timo Werner can score a lot of goals. Um, and that could you know, give Christian a lot of assists, but it could also inspire him to get into more inside positions more often and put the ball in the back of the net, which would be which would be fantastic. The Timo Werner thing is, is, is a phenomenal acquisition, not just as a player, but also a, a signal of intent. Roman Abramovich is feeling it. Petro dollars still count double. And while Russian papers had him linked this week to a $100 million acquisition of, of the painting, The Scream, which turned out to be fake news, he is instead said to be using his money to get Bayer Leverkusen's Kai Havertz in addition to Timo Werner, Frank Lampard, Dave O. He loves all the Germans. Julian Green coming next. <laughs> we'll see. Um, it's going to be some starting lineup. You're going to have the German winger alongside Timo, who I love this. At Great Scott TX tweeted us when I first heard about Timo Werner signing, I didn't have my glasses on and thought for a moment that Roman had brought Time Warner. Time Warner's too cheap for Roman to spend his money on. But it is going to be an amazing lineup, David. You've got, you got Hakim already locked down for my axe. Yeah. You've got Werner. You could have Kai Havertz. And then you've got uncertainty over the futures of Emerson Palmieri, Mishi Batshuayi, Ross Barkley, Marcus Alonso. And it looks like Jorginho and Angolo Kanti could be used to bring in the big cash to fund all of this. What, what do you think of that transition? Are you just like, fire up the liquidator? Come yeah. on, Chelsea. Well, Roman's got a lot of cash already. Remember also, these aren't signings, but getting Ruben Loftus-Cheek back from injury, um, the very rapid development of so many young players, and including Billy Gilmore, um, who's going to be... Even better when he comes back, his voice might even have broken. I think Chelsea are looking quite good. Chelsea are, are, are taking some real strides. And I think still, you know, Ben Chilwell, you know, waiting in the wings. Chelsea seem very interested in, in completing that transaction. I think they'll have competition um, from a few sides in the Premier League and across Europe for that acquisition. But I, still, I know would like bringing Ben Chilwell. I think they're going to be a much better team. Ben Netflix and Chilwell, that would be an incredible acquisition. I, for one, can't wait for Real Salt Lake's Ross Barkley. And I love that mental image of Billy Gilmore walking around the locker room being like, what's this hair around the snake, lads? <laughs> but, but my big worry for Christian is that, you know, Frank Lampard's had a couple of months off. And there's probably in that time, I estimate, between 40 and 60 Young Chelsea players who weren't even born the yeah. last time the Premier League was going, who are now fighting for team minutes. What is fascinating in all of this, and it was a little bit buried in the coverage, and although Liverpool are immediately on the rebound, now linked to Jadon Sancho, which would be an incredible upgrade for any squad watching him play in my beloved Bundesliga finance said to be an issue for Liverpool that's why they didn't move for Timo Werner who was long linked to Jurgen Klopp it was budget reasons some feeling number of papers reporting that FSG said to be feeling some financial constraints with no major league baseball games for the Boston Red Sox one other team 
I am looking forward to seeing returning to the field, though, Manchester United and possibly the pearl of the first round of games, other than Everton's Merseyside derby triumph, is Manchester United against Tottenham. Enormous European consequences and United. I'd forgotten this, Dave. I'd forgotten this totally. A week of national protest and a global pandemic do that to me. Manchester United on an 11-game unbeaten streak before the suspension of the league. Lockdown came at just the wrong time for Ole. Good news is, though, this. Paul Pogba now back, healthy, ready to go. Aware United, probably his best option suddenly for the future and poised to play with passion alongside Bruno Fernandes for the first time. United's future may be here and now. Bruno Fernandes said some very interesting things, though, last week about how he can. He just knows that Premier League players are going to adjust to him now. That they're that they're getting to know him. It'll just be interesting to see that United Spurs game. Tasty, Rog. Uh, not just because of Pogba and Fernandez. I'm just looking forward to seeing Jose. But in, I've missed. I've missed the man. I've missed him. But in no way <laughs> to the spectacle of or agony for you of the Merseyside derby. We should know today is the ninth anniversary of Liverpool signing of one Jordan Henderson. He arrived from Sunderland as a little bit of a footballing punchline for $22 million and has ground his way with sheer force of will to become club captain and lift four trophies, three last season and one more big one to come. An amazing career journey, an amazing human journey. And talking of Liverpool, it brings us to the saddest news to close the show, something that's hit us so hard and our entire GFVP nation at Men in Blazers, the passing of one of the most passionate soccer fans in America, Jason Kennedy, a larger-than-life OG GFOP, one of the original seven, Rog, who passed away in Chicago after suffering a heart attack last weekend. Unbelievable, just 50 years of age. His passing leaves all of us with an immense sense of loss. We're all reeling, Rog, I know I am. What a life force Jason Kennedy was. Even Peter Moore, the CEO of Liverpool Football Club, chimed in to tweet that the club have lost, quote, a massive red. We first came across, I know we've done a lot of reflection together and individually, Dave, since we heard the news of his passing, first came across Jason at the very beginning of Men in Blazers, the 2010 World Cup. We were called... Uh, I think ESPN called us off the ball, off, 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 off the ball. ball, 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 ball. <laughs> it's terrible, terrible. Yeah. We were awful. We still are. Not much has changed, but I'd say we were a cult hit as a pod- daily podcast during the 2010 World Cup. Off the ball. It was. It was really just you and me talking, Davo, and having a laugh, and we were not entirely sure at any one time whether anyone was actually listening on the other end. We had a die-hard following of early GFOPs. You, you, you used the number seven, which I think was was very generous to us. I mean, we can still name them. It's like, life plus three ratings. Right? Yeah. It was, like, <laughs> it was like at Josh Kale, Black Bile, Binky Marsh, Dante Florence, English Bob, Don Steele, No It's Rebecca. And Jason was the guy who unbeknownst to us, just started to connect all these Twitter characters. Ultimately, our live shows, but to begin with, just over social media, engaged them all and then started to bring them all together in the real world over and over and over at games, 
uh, at Cubs games, at Pearl Jam gigs, and then beyond. Always, always, of course, our live shows. Oh, the, every Golden Blazer almost became like Jason Kennedy's bar mitzvah. As one GFOP wrote beautifully, Jason just had a way of connecting with anyone he met, a general curiosity and welcoming nature that could make strangers feel like friends. You know, when I heard the news, I went back to through my messages and Jason of sort of all GFOPs out there is the one I spoke to the most, but never really about football. But Jason would be the person of whatever was going on in my life as evidence through Instagram or occasionally Twitter. Jason would be one of the first people who would comment on and send me a message. And we talked about all sorts of things. Um, he was always so lovely about my children, so lovely about all the big moments in my life. Wrote me the most beautiful, beautiful message after my father passed early this year. Um, and this has hit me really, really hard. Um, and I'm so grateful to Jason, and you put it so well, that he was the original GFOP who did such an amazing job of knitting together this community, this culture. We're going to miss him so much. We're going to have to find a very special way to commemorate him the next time we do a live show, Rog. Um, I can't wait to do that. He did have an amazing way of connecting to human beings. My wife told me that the first time he met her at a live show, he just bounded through a pack of, of GFOPs and went up to her and said, you must be Mrs. B. And she said, yes. And he goes, ah, oh, can't believe it. Only in America can a man like Roger end up with someone as beautiful as you. <laughs> Which is just, there's just so many wonderful levels in that. And I adore it. It's also the truth. Uh, yes. Oh, America. I went through all my emails from Jason too over the weekend. He wrote to us a lot. He wrote, I found a beautiful one before we flew home from Brazil World Cup 2014, Dave, where we first debuted in the Panic Room. And he wrote, I am so filled with joy at your success. I sort of feel like a kid who hung around with the Beatles in Hamburg, enjoying it all and occasionally using preludine and dexedrine to keep up with you both and make it all have sense. I also found emails after we first met him in person at our debut Men in Blazers live show. Do you remember it, David? The Bob Lee yeah. Golden Blazers, how tiny it was. Yeah, Joe's pub. Yeah, New York 90... I dinner beforehand at Indochine. We, we still didn't know if anyone would actually turn up. <laughs> and it was... As packed as a 98-seat venue can be, it was just thronging. Men in Blazers was still in its relative infancy. And I was totally shocked when not only did the show sell out, but everyone came to the post-show drinks and you and I were together. Jason bounded up in his vintage Liverpool jersey and it ever-present red and white candy-striped Indiana blazer. And he told me that he travelled from Chicago just to attend. We were like, what? Are you mad? Are you Like, really? And the fact that someone had flown in for our suboptimal fare made such an impression on us both, didn't it? Made us realise, wow, people really are emotionally connecting to our crap. Do you remember that moment? I do remember it. That blazer, Rog, I would really, I would really love to retire that blazer. Um, I think that needs to be hoisted up to the rafters and retired and honoured and saluted. Oh, God. Um, Mate, it, sh- it should it, I mean, I'd, I, I'd, I, we need to do something important and permanent because there's rarely been a live show that you and I haven't done where Jason flew in, sat front row, wherever, whenever, 
He often felt like a one-man laugh track, just cackling away at all our jokes and bullshit. Like Waldo, every single one of those pictures taken from behind the stage. <laughs> <in it somewhere. laughs> yeah, I mean, we, do, we make like the worst jokes and you know they're terrible when you're up on stage and there'll be an awful second of silence and then there'll just be Jason absolutely <laughs> going mental for it on the front row. What a man of joy. What a man of passion. What a man of loyalty. Also, a huge... Huge red. I've, I've often thought of myself as a Chicagoan born in a Liverpudlian's body. I mean, that's ultimately what my bloody memoir is all about. And I think Jason might just have been the yin to my yang, a Liverpudlian trapped in a Chicagoan's body because his fandom was so authentic, so real so deep so to his core i mean a gfop annie iskovitz who is a big blue emailed us to say jason was actually at the awful origi game the 96 minute winner he was standing in the cop end and i love this story davo when origi shouldered the ball in past tiny armed flailing little jordan pickford jason kennedy in the cop actually wet his pants. Growing <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. man, urinating in his chinos. Devo, tell me, that is proper football, right? That proper, I mean, what, what proper football fan has not wet his pants at a game before? <laughs> For multiple reasons. <laughs> Whether it's impending violence or the fact that, you know, you're most unlikely, John Obi Mikel just scored. Like, there's got to be something that happened that led you to do it. That is proper football, and I'll be honest, I'm more of a crapper than uh, than a pisser. It breaks my heart, it really does, that he will not see Liverpool win the title this season. That, 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 uh, genuinely, I want to rent my Fred Perry open as I think about that genuine human darkness. I last saw Jason three weeks ago when he came on one of our Men in Blazers Happy Hour Zoom calls to raise a pint on a Friday night, and he talked about how with every ounce of his being excited to watch Liverpool Football Club win the title and Annie finished her email by saying alas he was not meant to see the title hoisted so Reds, Hendo, Jimmy Mills, Bobby Chompers, TAA, Alpine Messi and Jurgen Klopp you Teutonic Care Bear you when you clinch it this season Raise that trophy so damn high that Jason Kennedy can touch it all the way from heaven. He's been waiting too long. And now, Dave, I'll be thinking of Jason when Liverpool do clinch, probably with a late goal off Origi's crotch region. I won't begrudge it, asterisk. But I guess the big lesson for me is, and we say this every week, unfortunately, unfurlingly, just the way 2020 has gone, it gets darker and darker. Make memories while you can, dear listeners. Hate nothing for granted. One last memory. Last October, J-Dub and I were in Chicago for an interview with the great Sam Kerr ahead of the NWSL final. We stopped in for dinner at the legendary Twin Anchors. Oh, love that place. Eating ribs, drinking buds. Jason reached out to see if he could run over and then did. And it was magnificent. It really was. What a night. We, we painstakingly debated the merits of every John Cooper Mellencamp album ever released and breaking away was his big topic of conversation with J-Dubs. While we're sitting there on our first third bud of the night, several ribs deep, I was just overwhelmed with a sense of how much this man 
had contributed to the two-way conversation that Men in Blazers is between Dave Out, producer J-Dubs and me and the GFOP audience and how much Jason has made it happen. He's the cornerstone, the heart of the GFOP community and it's that community which makes the show run. We send our condolences to Jason's family, especially his father Jim and all the GFOPs who make memories with Jason. May those memories be a blessing to all who knew him. May we attack life with the joy, with the kindness Jason did. And when Liverpool win the title, it's his memory we'll be thinking of. I want to finish with some lyrics from the Mellencamp song. We both ultimately agreed was one of the greatest, to me, the greatest, from the best album, Scarecrow, Minutes to Memories. Days turn to minutes and minutes to memories. Life sweeps away the dreams that we have planned. You are young and you are the future. So suck it up and tough it out and be the best you can. To the memory of Jason Lorne Kennedy, February 2nd, 1970 to June the 5th, 2020. Courage. <laughs>